Hey listeners, this is Wesley, and thanks for tuning in to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. In today's episode, I interview Kurt Snyder, Certified Functional Safety Expert, as we discuss two standards for safety instrumented systems in the process industry, ISA 84 and IEC 61511. Specifically, we cover why we have the standards for functional safety and the main objectives in both, and then we finish with a high-level walkthrough of applying the standards in a Greenfield Capital Project. I'd like to thank Kurt for his time in this episode, and as always, Rob and I thank you for listening. Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join your hosts, Wesley Carter and Rob Bartlett, in their mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. Welcome to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. This is Wesley, and I'm joined with Mr. Kurt Snyder. Kurt, why don't you introduce yourself? What are we talking about today? Oh, thanks for having me, Wesley. Yes, sir. Uh, My name is uh, Kurt Snyder, and uh, we are discussing a high overview, the big blocks around a standard called ISA 84, which is a functional life cycle for safety instrument systems. Sounds like a lot. It sounds like that that standard could be quite in-depth. Yes. Yeah, Wesley. And that's the challenge is, is how, how can I bring value in 24 minutes well, for, for this standard? Well, no, no, you do your, you do your best, you know? Yeah. So the first thing I'd like, you know, for the listening audience, who are you? What, well, you know, what's your background? Okay. So, so yeah, it's i uh, I'm unique. I come from a mechanical integrity background. Yeah. I'm probably one of the few certified functional safety experts who actually has two NACE corrosion certifications. Okay. So that's where I come from. I came from a mechanical integrity background, tanks, vessels, piping uh, systems, and then I got into OMS uh, for the past 13 year operating management systems and specifically closing gaps around equipment life cycle. Yeah. So kind of by accident, I came into safety instrument systems and I quickly learned that I had to learn this standard yeah. to to meet the objectives of the programs I was implementing. Nice. Excellent. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. Why don't you start where you'd like? Okay. So so, so again, uh, I'm going to start out with an apology. Apology? I have to apologize to the audience because the podcast is about ISA 84. Mm-hmm. But anybody who's my, my respective peers and my constituency and anybody who's Delves and safety instrument systems, uh, they refer to IEC 61511 Part 1. Okay. So, and I'll give you a little bit of a background on that. ISA 84 is a recognized and generally accepted good engineering practice. Ragagep. Ragagep. Yep. A mechanical integrity element of PSM for SIS. But my bias is to speak towards IEC 61511. Okay. And uh, the only differences between 61511 and ISA 84. So IEC 61511 is an international standard. Mm -hmm. ISA 84 is North American. The only difference between the two standards is the grandfather clause. And I quote in ISA 84, for existing safety instrumented systems designed and constructed in accordance with codes, standards, or practices prior to the issuance of the standard, 1996 is when ISA 84 was released. The owner operator shall determine and document that the equipment is designed, maintained, inspected, tested, operated in a safe manner. Ooh, 
That's the only difference between 61511 and ISA 84. But but let me tell you why yeah. we we refer to 61511. Yeah. <laughs> because actually before 61511, so ISA 84 came out first. Mm-hmm. Well, in uh, 1996. And then in 1998, IEC 61508 was issued. And, uh, and what is 61508? 61508 is is functional safety for safety instrument systems that's more geared towards suppliers. Okay. And it's also for all industries. Okay. So not just process industry, machining industry, batch processes, you name it. Okay. So 61508 is for all industries and it's more geared towards suppliers. And they understood, uh, the IEC committee understood that they needed to work on a standard for the end users, which are probably a large portion of the people on this, uh, listening to this podcast. And so they always understood that 61511 was going to be developed. ISA committee was on board with it as well. And so ISA 84 always was going to endeavor to adopt 61511 when it was published in 2003. I got you. Okay. So you cannot implement IEC 61511 part one without also having a copy of 61508 and understanding what's in there. Makes good sense. So okay. that's why we refer to IEC. So why do we have a standard for functional safety of safety instrument systems? Well, I mean, I'd like to think I know, but for our listeners, I mean, in your opinion, you know, you've been around this. This is something very near and dear to you. You know, why? Past incidents. Yeah. Um, you know, I've listened to your podcasts and there's many, many more. Oh, tons. There, it's unfor- <laughs> okay. it's an unfortunate yeah. thing. You know, my business partner and I, we talk about this all the time, you know, my co-host Rob, but it's unfortunate. There's incidents that have happened in the past and it continue to happen, you know, in this day and age, right? But it's like you said, this is probably a key thing is there, there's lessons learned from some incidents, right? Absolutely. And there was a there was a recognition around active barriers, active barriers, meaning mm-hmm. controls, BPCS control, alarms. Versus something like a passive right, versus, barrier. Versus, right? correct. Like, yeah. like a, uh, a, a wall, a blast wall is a passive barrier mm-hmm. protection. Another passive barrier protection, I would argue, is to have a PLQ that is com- the personal living quarters completely, you know, distance. Yeah, sure. You get <laughs> right. some space, right? Right. You're still getting the same benefit. Right. Yeah. You know, so lots of incidents. And these incidents all had components of safety instrument systems. The industry recognized this. The UK HSC department within the government, mm-hmm. they uh, they conducted a study in the industry on, on why uh, why safety functions fail. Okay. That led to incidents. And they determined that in the case of uh, safety instrument systems, that those failures were, uh, 44% were attributed to poor specification. 20% was because of management of change. 15% of the failures were attributed to operation and maintenance practices. 15% for design and implementation and 6% for installation and commissioning. You know, the one that, you know, out of all those that you said, you know, one that jumped out to me was 44% of that, nearly half, was specification. Exactly. Yeah. And so that should scare people. Yeah. That should scare people. You know, when I think about specification, right, you know, break that down for me. Documentation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. And so the reason why I break out that pie chart, you know, yeah. is because those percentages I give you generally kind of translate to the percent volume of content in these in this standard that we're talking about. Yeah. So, for example, 44% is, is poor 
specification, well, about 44% of IEC 6.511 is about how to have good specification. So it, it was almost like paying attention to where we were really hanging out in industry and let's make sure that we treat gold like gold and lead like lead, right? You put the right amount of attention in the in the areas where industry is failing. Yep, yep. exactly right. And okay. so it's interesting to note 6% on installation, commissioning, and, and validation, installation and, uh, and commissioning. Yeah. There is not a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah. In IEC 61511 Part 1 ab about installation commissioning for those same reasons. Okay. So, okay. So what is ISA 84 or IEC 61511 or what do you call it? 61511 yeah. Part 1? Correct. I don't want, I want to sound, I want to sound smart here while I'm talking, right? I don't want to like, you know, for anyone who's, who gets into this. So, but yeah. So IEC 61511 Part 1. Okay. So part two, there, there's three parts. Okay. We're not going to talk about part two and part three. Okay. Uh, Okay, so what is IE61511 Part 1? I call it Equipment Life Cycle for Safety Instrumented Systems that deliver SIL 1 or higher safety instrumented functions on a process. Safety Instrumented System is a combination of components, mm -hmm. so sensors, logic solvers, and uh, final elements, whatever they may be, SIL 1 or higher. It is definitely 61511 Part 1 is a CI process. Okay. Period. Plan, do, check, act. <laughs> it's definitely written like a life cycle document. Okay. And uh, it is a performance standard, although I will tell you it's definitely prescriptive on what good looks like. <laughs> okay. Very suggestive of what good looks like. So so when you say performance, right, you're saying that there's some there's room for you to kind of put best in class versus just get by? Well or? let well let me let me give you yeah. like a like a for instance. Yeah. They won't tell you who needs to do audits or functional safety assessments within okay. the standard, which we'll be talking about. Yeah. They're not gonna say who. But they're going to tell tell you that you need to do it. Okay. And you need to specify the frequency. They don't even specify the frequency. But, uh, they'll, but they'll tell you uh, you have okay. to do it. And they provide some uh, shell. They have shells around independence. Okay. Okay. Independent assessors and so on. Okay. Right? That's a good example. Okay. The volume uh, and the content, it, uh, the, the uh, IEC 61511 part one is 80 pages. Okay. And like I said, it's content is distributed by... <laughs> kind of lines up with that stuff, like, the UK HSE study, right? right? Correct. The standard at first glance is hard to wrap your hands around, quite yeah. frankly. And getting more of a visual view of what the what the what the life cycle looks like within this document is very helpful. It was very helpful for me. So yeah. at the end of the podcast, I'll provide an excellent article where where people can go to see that. Good, so, good resource. Yeah. Excellent. Um, but specification is so important. And then so because of specification, documentation, the rigor of documentation is fierce and needs to be appreciated. Yeah. Uh, has to be appreciated by, by these end users. Wesley, I was at a plant yesterday, at a chemical plant yesterday. Huge, yeah. Huge facility. Yeah. And most of them are a little <laughs> bit overwhelming. Yeah. And I met... I met an engineering manager there and we were talking about, you know, we were talking about his functional safety program for SIS. And I asked him how many safety instrumented functions that he had in the plant roughly, you know, was it a hundred, was it 2000, that kind of thing. Yeah. And he replied simply too many, too many, too many. Oh, now that is a great answer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, we as safety professionals need to have an appreciate. That is a great answer because of the rigor required around around this documentation and testing protocols. Yeah, 
and the balance between process safety, availability, yeah. and reliability. Yeah. Availability versus reliability. And when you're in this space, as an SIS professional, every day is a balancing act of those two things. So uh, we should always endeavor and look for opportunities for inherently safer design and putting more emphasis in passive barrier protection versus having the need for, for active active barrier protection. So some house cleaning about 61511, Wesley. Yeah, you were saying it comes in three parts, right? We're going to cover only part one. Right. So yep. part part two is uh, is the application of the part one guidance. Okay. There's no shell statements, stuff like that. So part two is a is a guideline, and part three is a determination of sills. Okay. Is part three. This is just part one. The standard has 18 chapters or parts that make up the life cycle of SIS. Okay. But they are referred to as clauses in the industry. Santa clauses. <laughs> no, no, not saying no. Clause, 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 right? Yep, clauses. Okay. You know, make sure when you're around other safety professionals, you're using that, clause. that term. If clause. I say if I say chapter seven of you know this, they're gonna say what? Yeah, it's clause. Yeah, they're gonna seven. they're gonna give you a deer in the headlights. Yeah. Okay. ISA eighty four is not intended for BPCS controller IPLs. Basic process control, right? Not intended yep. for that. Yep. BPCS interlock IPLs, same thing. Or BPCS alarm IPLs is not covered by the standard. Okay. However, the caveats I offer are here. There is a, okay, so hazard and risk assessment is clause eight of the standard. Okay. That's really where it begins. Hazard and risk assessment. Yep. Your HAZOP, your HAZOP LOPA, or, or however you're assigning SILs. Sure. Okay. And they offer this though. For example, if you have initiating cause frequency or uh, if you have BPCS failure mm -hmm. as your threat, Okay, for a given scenario, yep. your initiating cause frequency must be 10 to the negative 5 per hour or 0 0.0876, if my math is right, initiating event frequency per year. Okay. In other words, basically, one failure in 10 years or more frequently is acceptable to the standard. Yep. That's a shell. Okay. Clause 9 says, if BPCS is credited for risk reduction... Then 9.3.2 states that the risk reduction claimed for a BPCS protection layer shall be less than or equal to 10. If it's to be greater than 10, an RRF, our risk reduction factor of 10, yep. if it's greater than 10, you are now entering SIL 1, and therefore all of the clauses of 61511-1 shall apply. So if I, if I read this right, and I hope Joe doesn't have to cut this out because I say something silly, <laughs> but... Uh, this is 90% reliability. Is that a good way yeah, to put it? Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's a great way of putting it. Yep. So a uh, risk reduction of factor of 10 yep. translates to 90% reliability or the inverse, right, is 10% yep. probability failure, failure on, failure demand. on demand. Absolutely. Okay. In other words, don't try to make a general purpose PLC. Don't try to convert a general purpose. Say that a general purpose PLC follows IEC six one five eleven part one. Yeah, it, it, you, you won't meet it. Yeah, you can because so. you can buy these off the shelf, right? <laughs> stuff exactly. that you need, right? I need a, are, I need sill one, sill two, right? This stuff can come off the shelf specified, right? Absolutely, and they are loaded with um, opportunities for uh, systematic errors. Okay, by the operator. Yep. Okay, so we want a gold plate sill one or higher, make it difficult to make changes. Yep. Okay. Also, if a BPCS failure initiating cause is the scenario, then only one independent BPCS can be claimed for credit for that sequence of event. Yeah. So 
That should be clear. And then, and then further, for all other scenarios, no more than two independent BPCS credits are allowed. Why is it that that is? Well, it goes to the very objective of the standard that I will now talk about next. It, uh, it, okay. I'll go into the objectives of the standard. Okay, so the standard is applied for low demand, high demand, and continuous mode oh, you're demand. Gonna, you're going to have to explain this for me, and pro- you, definitely for me. Okay. Okay, so IE six one five eleven is for the process industry. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's other uh, there's also six one five one two for batch production, six one five one three for nuclear, six two zero six one for machinery. Okay, in the process industry, you can have low, high demand, and continuous mode uh, demand. And what that means, continuous mode means that your demands on a safety instrument and function mm-hmm. that you are assuming are more frequent than any amount of proof testing. In other words, the proof testing cannot save you. Which okay. I'll be talking about why do we do proof testing? We do proof testing to remove dangerous covert failures. Okay. Over time, your probability of failure on demand increases over time. Correct. Because you're and, coming off of you're coming off baseline, right? The longer it's in service, the more that increases. Right. Yeah. So you got your probability of fail over time, that dangerous undetected failure rate, the likelihood goes up. Okay. Okay. So we do proof testing to knock that probability down to zero, if possible. You want to have an effective uh, proof test plan that has 100% proof test coverage to be able to send it back down to zero. If you do partial stroke testing on a valve when you're doing uh, a proof test, that's decay and that grows over time. So you have to, you really need to pay attention. Not only are you doing a a proof test at at a frequency that commensurates with our our silk calculation, but that uh, you're also recognizing that if you're doing partial stroke and so on that that risk is still there yeah yeah <laughs> so that's continuous uh, it, that's continuous, continuous mode high demand is one year okay and and so the standard basically says go to continuous mode sure i'll be talking about that further most of us that are listening to this podcast are in low demand mode you hope we hope right right <laughs> so that the proof testing the proof testing is helping yeah okay so you you mentioned sif Right, so safety instrument and system SIS versus what is SIF? What's the acronym? Okay, so SIS is a safety instrument and system, and it can have many combination of components of sensors, logic solver, and final elements. In other words, you can have multiple SIFs okay. within a safety instrument and system. Okay, functions, right? Safety instrument and functions. Yeah, safety instrument and functions. Okay. Okay, so the main objective of the standard to manage the risk of hardware failures associated with SIS. Okay, so we're managing hardware failures. These are predictable, but difficult to eliminate. The premise here is that every component in an SIS, sensor or final elements, will fail. Everything's eventual. Yeah. Right? Right. It has a useful life. Yeah. And someday that useful life is meant and things will fail. Okay, so that's that's hardware. So we're, we're trying to manage that fact of life, hardware failures. Okay, that's kind of bathtub curve stuff right bathtub uh, curve what do you mean by bathtub curve well okay so if you did an xy axis okay and the y axis is is number of failures mm-hmm. and on the x axis is time yep and you're starting up a new unit okay you expect failures I in better the beginning be, i should be yeah right high level you're tweaking you're tweaking things right absolutely we call that the burn in period burn in okay okay so failure rates are are high in the beginning. Then you stabilize. Okay. And then you have a more or less a flat line. Oh, you're drawing a bathtub. Uh, there you go. Right? Yeah, yeah. A flat line. You're drawing a, <laughs> a bathtub. Yeah. With a predictable. Yeah. Right. Predict- I, start, I start with this peak. 
and then I get down in my valley. And then eventually over time, you'd expect this, right? Components start to fail and then you start to come back up with the number of failures, right? Right. Okay. When you reach the end of your useful life, let's say five, seven years for solenoid valves. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now you're going to, to a second and third order equation at that point because you're at the end of your useful life. And we call that the wear out. Okay. Okay. So we are managing risk, Wesley, within that flat line of the bathtub curve. Yep. So if I got solenoid valves that are over seven years old, you know, seven, 10 years old, I mean, it's, it's, you don't As, you don't want to run things to failure in right, these systems, right? Right. You're starting to get to a point where That's you right. know end of life and you're like, we want to stay, I'll call it in the bottom of the bathtub. And the only way we do that is we get to a point where it's no longer useful, right? Yep. Yep. And that's uh that's very important to bring that out is that all the, everything we're talking about and all of the barriers that we're putting into our SIS here is within the useful life. Yeah. You have to replace things. Yeah. And that's more of a systematic issue and I'm going to be talking about that. So so the objective is to manage hardware failures. And then the second objective is to manage the risk of systematic failures. Okay. Right. In other words, humans. Now, unlike hardware failures, which are easily to predict, systematic failures are, are difficult to predict. Mm -hmm. But they are repeatable and can be addressed and removed, particularly when following the shell statements of this standard. Okay. That's what, so yeah. the standard is heavy on systematic capability or safety culture of the organization. Okay. okay. So we're very sensitive to the fact that there's hardware failures, but there's also systematic failures and you have to understand the difference. So how does it, how does the standard meet those objectives? Managing the risk of hardware failures and syst systematic failures. Yeah, we do that four ways. The first is through SILCALCs, reliability calculations. They call them PFDs and PFHs. Okay. Probability of failure on demand and probability of failure hours if you're in high demand or continuous mode. Yeah. So most of what we do is, is PFDs. And they're calculated either by simple, you know, my background is ISA 84 simplified silk calcs. Okay. Uh, there's also Markov analysis or uh, fall tree. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the light bulb has not uh, gone off on me yet for <laughs> Markov analysis. Okay. <laughs> There are uh, four components of these calculations to consider. We're talking about reliability here. And SIS professionals, you know, they're balancing the removal of undetected failures from the design with safe failures and high nuisance strips. Okay. So basically the components of, of these equations is dangerous undetected, dangerous detected, meaning I got diagnostics. Okay. Spurious undetected and spurious detected. Okay. So there's four components, four components to how something can fail. I almost felt, you know, when you were talking through that, it reminded me of this. Uh, I remember this chart in one of my engineering books in school where they showed the difference between precision and accuracy. But uh, anyways, I don't know why, but I started thinking about this when you were running through it. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like we need another podcast on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So Arch the second one is architectural constraints. Okay. What's that? All That's also known as what? Boating? Boating. Boating. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yes, thank sir. you. And uh, some people call it safety re redundancy or how many bullets can I take yeah. and still do my job on demand? I got an LEL detector in a vapor space and it's two out of three voting, right? Or I got three detectors and so it requires me to get a positive confirmation on two of them before it actually go through the function, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, correct. It can take one hit, no problem. Yep. It can lose one, but the other two have, have to work. Yep. 
And then you get rid of, you know, sometimes there's a spurious reading that's not correct, but you get rid of taking down the whole system. That's the advantage of two out of three versus one out of one, for example. Sure. Right. So we select one out of one. Yeah, that's that's a pretty pretty safe, but you're going to have a high spurious rate. Sure. And so we, we chose two out of three. It's the nice balance of both yeah. of, of keeping the spurious trip that the spurious trip rate down, but also delivering that uh, that reliability. Yeah, two of them are telling you, hey, re- I'm sorry, the safety. Integrity. Right. Yeah, but two of them are yelling at you like, hey, and you're like, OK, I'm going to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is real. So architectural constraints are the other one. And basically, it's a recognition that, okay, there are a lot of assumptions that go into those PFDs, those probability of failure on demand silcalcs, you know, where we talked about there's four aspects to that equation. And so the uh, the standard recognizes that in addition to that, we need to have uh, have voting. And, sorry, I'm back. Oh, you're good. You look like you got a, a large, large book there. Yeah, so I have IEC 61511 Part 1 right here, 2016. Okay. Okay. And there's a table in there, Table 6, in the design clause on the minimum hardware fault tolerance required according to SIL. Okay. And that's what architectural constraints mean, hardware fault tolerance. Okay. So if you're in SIL 1 any mode, your minimum required hard, hardware fault tolerance is zero. In in low demand mode for SIL 2, it's zero. For SIL 2 in high demand or continuous mode, your hardware fault tolerance is one. So now you've got, now, now you've got voting. Okay. SIL 3, any mode, hardware fault tolerance, 1. SIL 4, any mode, hardware fault tolerance, 2. SIL 4. Yeah, SIL 4. You don't want to go there. Where do you use SIL 4 at? Have you seen SIL 4? I have... Uh, everywhere I've read and... But have you ever seen it? No. Okay. I was just... I was was curious. (laughs) Never. Okay. But... I've seen seen SIL 3. IE61511 goes up to SIL 3. IEC 61508 will go up to uh, SIL 4. Oh, you got You said this is just multiple industries, right? Yeah. So I imagine it. maybe in a, if, I'm running not, a, if I'm running a nuclear reactor, maybe I'm going to have I, some SIL 4s. I don't know. I have not seen it. Okay. So so there you have it. And that's actually, uh, uh, that was a big change in 2016, by the way. So I won't get into here. But yeah. but the 2016 edition of 61511, there were, there were a lot of changes okay. uh, around this very thing. So. Okay, so you're you're you know you were going through the four things of how the how the standard meets the objective of managing the risk oh, of okay. hardware, managing the risk of systemic systematic failures. So you talked about PFDs and PFHs. We were just talking about the architectural constraints, and now we're what on number three. What's number three of those four? Systematic capability. Some people call it safety culture. So how good is your documentation? How good is your MOC process? Are you measuring performance of your SIS and validating validating performance to the specifications and the assumptions in the HAZOP LOPA on some frequent basis? Seems pretty intuitive. These are because th- these are things that can undermine everything, right? If you're not doing it well, right? I mean, I, exactly. I spend I spend all this horsepower trying to adopt the standard, putting these systems in, and then I'm not managing changes. I'm not going continuously, like you said, the CI these evergreen. I don't want to steal something from you that you you mentioned to me that, I, but these. Uh, you know, these PHAs, these hazard assessments these, that you're doing, right? If those systems are broken, I mean, how can you ever have a program that's continuous, continuously being improved upon, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great example. The fourth way that we meet these, uh, the two objectives we talked about is, of course, proof testing. So why do we do proof testing? To remove dangerous covert failures, period. And whether they are systematic or hardware, we need to know that. It is essential to discern the difference so that the end user, the operator, can act accordingly. So am, am, I, being, am I being simple here when I say covert? This is things that are like, like a covert operation. 
I'm saying this is something that you're trying to diagnose a little bit oh. about what's going on. No. Or, or I could be way off here. What do you mean by covert failures? I mean hidden failures. Hidden, right? So yeah. like yeah, like a, a covert operation, right? Similar. Things things that we cannot see without testing. I got and you. So So you have a failure and then you go you, you know or you're proof testing, you're seeing what's going on, you're trying to diagnose, right? As you're going through. Exactly. It's auditing. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a lot of people understand that an independent protection layer has to be specific, independent, dependable, and auditable. Proof testing is auditability. It's very important to understand not only whether it failed, but how it failed. And so did it fail dangerously or yeah. did it fail safe? And understanding what bucket yeah. to to flag that as, because we need that information to validate our assumptions in our safety requirement specifications. So that's why the proof testing is so important. You need to understand how it failed and also whether or not they're systematic. Yeah. Because don't blame the pressure transmitter yeah. If it was a systematic failure. Mm-hmm. So for instance, on a project I did once, on a proof testing project that I did when I rolled out a proof testing program, there was a skin temperature on a um, on a stack. And we go there to do a proof test on it. It's supposed to initiate a, a shutdown sequence at a certain temperature. Okay. We get there and the thermal couple was melted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the thermal couple was melted. Yeah. And and the rating on this thermal couple, it would have never, it couldn't survive for that set point. It was dead in the water from the beginning. Exactly. That's yeah. a systematic failure. Yep. Right. Okay. So we've talked through a lot of good stuff. I think you got an idea here. You wanted to bring it all home, right? Starting with a kind of a greenfield project at a high level. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So I'm going to assume that I'm in a greenfield. And when we met greenfield, we're brand new, right? Yeah. Brand not, new. Not brownfield was the opponent, right? That's but right. But greenfield, brand Correct. new, new facility, brand new capital project, right? We're building our brand new plant. Correct. Okay. So I'm going to walk through what the life cycle is all about, what the standard, what the standard. Taking what we've talked to and then yep. starting in that project all the way through, right? Right. So you begin you begin with do you have an SLC plan a safety life cycle plan you need to first have a plan that shows how you're demonstrate how you're going to meet what's our target the, the, what's our goal here right yeah exactly how we're going to meet the clauses of this standard you don't build a, a SIL three system with you have to begin with the end in mind be careful what you wish for right <laughs> be careful what you wish for yeah. Exactly. There has to be transparency and visualization to the operator that's inheriting this risk. Okay. Okay. And that's what a safety lifecycle plan is all about. So so we start there. Yeah, you you start there. Okay. Um, That outlines your functional safety management system being key that you want to leverage on existing procedures and policies that you already have in place, like MOC, for example. Yeah. Management of change for listeners who might be new to our podcast or new to process safety. Okay, so we start with the SLC plan, and then what? What's next? Hazard and risk assessment. Why is that important? <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear in your, your terms. Why is this important in the scheme of things? You know, we have our plan, right? Our safety life cycle plan. But why is that important to go do the hazard and risk analysis? Well, because as operators, we have an obligation to manage risk, mm-hmm. for starters. Yeah. And it brings certain benefits to an operator, but we have a moral obligation to do it. Mm-hmm. And this is an important feed into your... It's also my scope of work. Right? Yeah, this is a huge, you know, it's this, important, It's important, it, you know, to manage risk. But at it, the same it, time, it, as far as what we're trying to do, you know, we've got our safety lifecycle plan. 
that's a key building block into this. Exactly. So Wesley, you you're you're more on the eight eight. You know, I'm, I I know you well. Yeah. And you're from the H and R A side of the block. Oh, absolutely. Right? Um, Hazop, Lopa, and so I like to think this is my wheelhouse, right? That yeah. is your wheelhouse. Yeah. Okay. My wheelhouse is okay. You you're telling me these are all these sill one, sill two, sill three instrumented safeguards. Yeah. My job is to interrogate and deliver that. Yep. So hazard and risk assessment is first. Okay. And so after those clauses are done in a greenfield uh, ap- application, then you deliver what is called a process safety requirement specification. Okay. Okay. We talked about specification, right? Uh, 44%. 44%. That's UK right? HSE study. That's right. right. Well, the safety re- requirement specification, there is a lot of content in 61511 okay. around what shall be in an SRS. There's 29 bullets to be exact. But it starts out as a process safety requirement specification to the design team. Okay. It says, okay, here's my here's my scope. Here are my narratives. So you're delivering to me the uh, the safety instrumented functions okay. and the narratives, hopefully some cause and effects, PFDs, PNIDs, and then the design team starts going through a process called SIF verification. Okay. And so it's a back and forth. It's an iterative process. So it goes from a process safety requirement specification to which you, Wesley, are contributing heavily towards. I feed that, I feed that over to you. I yep. say, hey, this is where we landed, where we need these right. We need these safeguards right. at this specification. And then you're going to look at that. You're going to challenge us a bit, right? Then and, maybe- and go back and forth. Yep. It's iterative. And then eventually that iteration goes to a design SRS. Okay. Okay. So now I'm in detailed design. Okay. Now between eight hazard and risk analysis and detailed design, you could conduct a stage one functional safety assessments. We're going to be talking about that. A functional safety assessment is an independent review of expert judgment. Okay. That we can proceed further. Okay. Um, with the with the life cycle effectively, and if there are gaps, what are we going to do? Is that okay or not? You know, there's obviously there's some give and take there. But so you said stage one, so I'm assuming there's a stage two. Yeah, stage. Yeah, and we'll we're going to talk about stage two next. But okay. So yeah, there's so so the audience knows there's actually yeah. four stages of functional safety assessments. Okay. Only two are required by the standard. Okay. Stage three, which is PSSR, basically pre-startup makes good sense. Pre, right, right before, uh, right before you're introducing risk, right? Mm-hmm. So PSSR, stage three FSA, and then new to the 2016 version of IEC 61511 is a stage four FSA. That's in the operate stage to also conduct a functional functional safe. How how are we doing? Okay, a check in, right? Right. So. So I'm in I, I'm in detailed design and I'm doing I'm I'm doing verification. Okay. Uh, there's verification and there's validation. Okay. Detailed design and and verification stage what we're talking about right now and that's where you're uh, you're doing SIF verification. You you've done your component selection. Uh, you have verified uh, that where you're going meets meets the application meets the design SRS and then also like if you're doing uh, software software integration. There is uh, there's verification involved with that too. We call it V modeling. Okay. But, but yeah, there's a that's an iterative process uh, where you're verifying your ASIC cert. Okay. So there's two there there's basically two big verification steps. Uh, one is SIF verification, where you're demonstrating that where you're going with the design meet, meets the requirements of the design of the uh, design SRS. That's SIF verification, and then the second one is uh, you're doing ver- verification 
uh, to the application-specific integration circuit. So if you're doing uh, doing software, it's an iterative process. So verification is okay. I'm get I've got these inputs, and the output meets meets the inputs okay. effectively within okay. that phase. Okay. So it's important to understand that that ver verification. There's in fact there's a clause about verification in the standard, and it's really it's really targeted in the design stages. Okay. After detailed design. You can do what's called a stage two FSA, but it's not required. And then you enter, and, and again, the functional safety, it's, a, it's an independent review. How are we doing up to this point? Okay. And then we're entering the stage of installation, commissioning, and validation. Okay. okay. Getting ready to start up. We're getting close. We hope. We're getting, we're getting close. I'm not going to talk too much about installation and commissioning, but we'll talk about validation. Okay. Validation is not an independent review. It can be but it, it, it doesn't have to be. Validation is no, no matter where you're at with the life cycle, you are taking what you have in place at that particular time and you are cross-checking to the safety requirements specification. Okay. That's validation. Okay. So validation is done and then, uh, and then you got a pre-startup safety review and that's your stage three FSA, which is required. And the documentation is fierce. You know, so you have your design SRS, <laughs> you got your design and verification reports, you have CNEs, you have proof test plans, you have SIL calcs, reliability data, achieve risk reduction. So, you know, this this all hits home when you said you were talking to this uh, manager at this chemical plant and you asked how much SIS, right, you have in this facility. You said too much, too many. How many, right? Exactly. It makes a lot of sense because if you're applying this and you're doing all this, you know, continuous improvement cycle, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of paperwork. That's a lot to keep up with. Yeah, it sure is. You're back in your book again. Yeah, was, there's 29 bullet items of the SRS, and I keep going back there. If you really want to understand the document, the rigor of documentation, I would go to Clause 10, which is the uh, safety requirement specification, and there are 29 bullets in 10.3.2 that 10. I'm not going to go into. 10.3.2. Uh, considerations for common cause. What is the safe state? Any separate hazards? If the safety instrument and function executes, are there additional hazards now yeah. that we need to consider? Consider demands, proof testing, maintenance requirements, safety instrument and function response times. It's a lot. You can, <laughs> I can imagine you got you have a lot of these. It's a lot of information to keep up with. Requirements for manual shutdown, energize and de-energize, reset requirements, mean time to failure. You know, mean time to failure spurious. That is the only place in the standard, by the way, that we even address nuisance trips. Really. <laughs> 61508 in another podcast, we could talk about safe failure fraction. Yeah. Okay. About nuisance. Basically, uh, the spurious contributions to, to SIL. Yeah. Okay. But basically, it's the only place in the standard that talks about nuisances is in the SRS for maximum maximum MTF. Okay. So, so you're, you know, so you're now to the point where you've done your PSSR, right? Okay. Right. And then you're, so then what's, you know, you said that we're going through this project. We've done our PSSR. Now we're in this operating and maintain phase, right? We've started the facility up. Hopefully we've done everything right. We've checked all our boxes. We've got all our paperwork together. So we, we put all that effort into, right? We've gone on through these four, maybe maybe at least three of these stages of FSA. And then we're, we're now on operating and, main, and maintain, right? We're running the facility. Now what? <laughs> That's where the most excitement is for me. 
Okay. I can tell you that. And that's where, where that's, that's why I keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is uh, why, you know, I cavitate more towards operations, quite frankly, yeah. uh, than on the project side of things sometimes is because this is, this is the dilemma. If you were on the project side, you just <laughs> handed it off and you left, right? Right. But exactly. if you're in operations, now it's your baby. It's that's, been handed to you. That's exactly right. right? And it's an enduring safety culture, period. Yeah. So in the operate stage, in the standards, yeah. they're big about compensating measures. So if you're doing an override on a safety instrument function, do you understand the achieved risk reduction factor that you just gave up? Yeah. And there's an expectation that you're doing something about it. So, okay, I took this SIL-1 out of service because uh, I'm, I'm at the end of the useful life of this Ma- transfer. Maybe you're going to pick, you're going to change something in that loop, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah and hopefully, hopefully you're, you're, hopefully, hopefully you're dovetailing it back to the SRS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. You're making a modification and that SIF has been bypassed. Okay. Well, how are you going to make up that achieved risk reduction? The standards expect that you, A, understand that, and B, that you're doing something. You just, whether it's a short period of time, you've just disabled a safe system, a safety system, right? You've disabled it. Operators know about it. Has anyone approved it? Maybe that's a safety system where you're like, we're just not going to run today. We're There's, not running without it, right? That may be sometimes, the answer. Sometimes that's the answer. Or, or sometimes that's the answer. Or maybe you need to do a D-rate. Maybe you need to do something on the process side to, to get that risk in the, down. In the short term. In the short term, right? exactly. You, you come up with a plan, though. We're not running with this. What are we going to do about it? Because or do we accept that risk in the short term? A procedure. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what the standards are expecting, right? So that's a good example. Are you tracking your demands or, or are they nuisance trips? Yeah. It takes a human being to discern whether or not it was a nuisance trip or a demand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if it and if it was a nuisance trip, you know, what are we doing about it? You're starting to lose value though. The more of these nuisance trips you have, right? The less value they have for the operator. The more dangerous mm-hmm. it is. Nuisance trips are dangerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, the plants coming down, the units are coming down. Mm-hmm. That's that's flat out dangerous. And that is where most of these accidents come from is startups. Yep. Right? Yeah, what was it? Uh there's a book, uh, Failure to Learn. I got it. I got it behind me. I think it said, what are you like? You're like 10 times more likely to have an, an incident at startup. I think it was something like that. I don't know where this number comes from, but it was an Andrew Hopkins book. Yeah, great. And also uh, lessons uh, lessons from Longford, the ESO yeah. yep. uh, gas plant in Australia. Yeah. Uh, similar. Why that is, is because abnormal operating conditions are unclear. Mm-hmm. It's unclear during those times to determine, am I in an, in an abnormal operating condition? So we need to keep those nuisance trips down. Yeah. And we're tracking those demands. And that's the gift. If you're tracking your demand and you're bringing that back to your PHA reval, you are effectively validating your initiating cause frequency. Yeah, because you're typically taking this from, you know, some kind of tables or some kind of book that gives you some where you're starting software. Maybe it's built into it by default. I've got a control valve. This is its failure rate. It's going to do this. But now you're getting live data that supports that or right. doesn't. Right. So I got the blue book from CCPS, you know, it says, okay, you know, I've got a BPCS initiating cause frequency of one in 10. If, if you're doing demand tracking, yeah. you you are validating if that's true or not. Absolutely. I mean, if you got PLCs and PLCs that are 25 years old, do you buy one in 10? I don't know. So food for thought. So we, so we talked about bypassing. I want to know the number of bypasses for a safety function mm-hmm. and their duration. We're tracking about 95% availability of these safety instrument functions. Yeah. Okay. If, if, if operations has this, uh, this loop in bypass not, uh, 10% or more of the time, uh-uh. 
you know, you need to talk about that. Yeah. You're not meeting the SR, likely you're not meeting the SRS. This is all feedback you want to get from your operators. As long and this is what you make them understand. This is important information. Why is it important? Why why do I need this information from you? How does this feed into this whole cycle, right? Yep, exactly right. This is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And it's a continuous improvement cycle. You don't know where you're at. All you have is a system uh, with SIL threes. Hopefully you label them and there's you implemented simplicity, visualization. Operators know on the HMI what is a SIF. I can pull up a faceplate on a sensor and it's orange or whatever and it says this thing is a SIL one, which means if I bypass it, I'm doing I, I have yeah. to, I have to call the SIS engineer yeah. <laughs> first. Yeah. Right. Something like that. And then you're doing proof testing, of course. Right. And you need to understand how things fail. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Wesley, it gets really challenging when it comes to proof testing. Because these are covert failures sometimes. Right. Well, there's a lot you're of diagnosing other... this, you know, this hidden failure. What is it? Let's take let's take calibration, for example. Most facilities have a calibration schedule. OK, on this day, I'm going to go to this module and I'm going to calibrate these 50 instruments. Yeah. And you know what? They're not just the SIS instruments. They're not just the SIS instruments. They're other instruments as well. Well, what if it's out of calibration? Okay, don't do the calibration route a month before I'm doing a proof test on an SIS. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, I want to do calibration after I do the proof test. Or I want to make sure that the instrument techs are well-educated, that when they're calibrating, when they're doing their calibration routes, they know that these sensors are special. They're SIL rated. And I need need the results if it was out of calibration. Calibration, you know, these are not this. These are not part of good information or it's a just, failure. Just indication for an operator. These, there's more to it. There's right. more than meets the eye. There's more than just returning it to exactly. Yeah. There's more than just returning it to the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. You need that information. Exactly, I need yeah. that information, and that's so. That's where the fun is, and somewhere in there, you need to do a, at some frequency. You need to do a stage four FSA, where you're basically looking under the hood. You're looking at MLCs. You know, yeah. you're looking at the proof testing program. You're looking at the PM overdues. You're looking at the corrective work orders. You're you're looking at bypass. You're yeah. looking at the override registers, you know, you're looking at their procedures and saying, you know what, this, this place has got, got their stuff together. Okay. That's stage four FSA. Finally, there's audit. Audit. Why do you audit? Okay. What's the point of this? Okay. So we talked about functional safety assessments, right? Mm-hmm. And how stage three and stage four are required. Stage three is at PSSR before you introduce risk to the system, before you introduce hydrocarbons in my, my industry. You're doing stage three FSA. You're doing a stage four FSA uh, at some frequency. Better be, I don't know, maybe five, uh, once every five years at least. Kind of reminds me of some other frequency. Yeah. Okay. Then there's audit. Now audit, they also do not prescribe a frequency in the standard, Okay. but that you do it. Now you don't need to be an SIS expert to do audit. So somebody in your organization that does audit for other things could say, all right, well, show me your safety life cycle plan. <laughs> they could start from scratch and start going through and, and say, okay. Not from scratch, but start there yeah. and go through this whole process. Right. right. Track and the documentation, see when things were done, look at dates, see how you're trying to meet these components. Correct. And look under the hood. So, so Wesley, about, about functional safety assessments and audit, I learn stuff all the time in these standards. So I mentioned ISA 84, but I refer a lot to IEC 61511, uh-huh. right? Absolutely. Well, there is not a lot of meat on the bone when you talk about independence of assessors doing audit or functional safety assessment. But yeah, you go to IEC 61508, um, 
I think it's part two. But if you go into 61508, there is a table there that show that shows you what it's expected in those standards on who conducts audits and functional safety assessments. So it's a good, it's if you know if you're stuck at these other two, it's a good one to pull it back and give you some more information, more guidance, right? Absolutely. So that's why it's it's really important to talk in terms of the IEC standards, in my view. And the independent review of audit is, is a good example. So IEC 61511 it specifies independence, you know, for a stage three and a stage four FSA, an expert judgment. That's what this what the what that is. But you go to IEC 61508 part one and they start going into the minimum levels of independence of those carrying out functional safety assessments. <laughs> okay. And based on the consequence and the severity level of what we're talking about, they prescribe whether it's an independent person, an independent department, or an independent organization. Oh wow. And so point being is you need you, you need both of the standards. Yeah, you can't you look at one and you get better guidance from one Correct. versus the other. And I'm sure it's vice versa some, in some cases. You know, that was a good, you know, overview of if you're starting with a Greenfield project and kind of going through and applying the standard, you know, all the steps that go into this from starting with your safety life cycle plan and then getting into the hazard and risk analysis, design and verification, delivering a detailed design and verification, doing your PSSR, right? And then, you know, then you get into operate and maintain and finally audit, right? Audit your program. Right. And then finally, there's a feedback loop at some frequency that is going back to the SRS. There has to be a feedback loop where you're challenging, you're challenging, you're interrogating your assumptions in your HAZOP LOPA and your design SRS. You got all that information, bring it back. Exactly. How are we doing? Absolutely. And do we need to change? Do we need to change? Oh, that's good. That was a lot of good information. Yeah, so there was something you wanted to say. I think there's a helpful white paper on the history on, on ISA that you wanted to mention. I'm sure we'll we'll link oh, in the in, oh, we'll oh. link in the details of the show. Everything uh, everything I just talked about, there is an excellent article that I found on isa.org. Okay. Standards and publications. If you go to standards and publications and look for the article in the June 2012 edition of Intech magazine. Okay. That understands the whole the whole background on ISA 84. It's the co- uh, that, it's the cover story. You absolutely. You get that if you get and that, it, that edition, has, you can't miss it. And it has visualization of the life cycle, everything we've been talking about. So it's it's a good read. Excellent. Well, I enjoyed talking with you about ISA 84, Kurt. Well, thank you for having me, Wesley. And uh, and I hope this is this is helpful uh, to the audience. I hope they're a little scared. <laughs> they should be a lot of information because it's it's a serious deal you have to appreciate it you're accountable and responsible for delivering safe operations with still rated safety functions all right well so thank you for being for on me. the podcast uh this is wesley and as always we thank you for listening we appreciate you joining us for this episode of amplify your process safety head to our website amplifyconsultants.com to find our show notes and other resources Thank you for joining us in our mission to ultimately save lives by advancing process safety right here on Amplify Your Process Safety. Until next time.